Welcome to the Author's Porch, where every good conversation happens. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride from author to author. We want to give you an experience where you learn and enjoy the conversation. Authors tell you about their journey, you learn about new books, and at the end of the day, you go home with a smile on your face because the Author's Porch is a beacon of light bringing you home to the family you never knew you had. We hope that you enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Author's Porch, where every, you know what, I just had like did that ever happen to you? And then it happened when I was live where every great conversation <laughs> happens. Like my mind went blank. Awkward. Anyway, it's probably because I um, slept in a ca- RV camper last night. Um, that's probably why. Anyways, so where every great conversation happens and it happens because we trusted Brendan and Bomzi at Master Talk to show us the power of effective communication. We also make sure that we always have a great cup of coffee from Third Day Coffee Seguin because they have the best coffee in the world. They truly do. Today, we're talking to John Stamp. How are you doing, John? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. And thanks for uh, sticking through my crazy brain this morning that is trying to go back to uh, the Arroyo, Colorado. That is the river that we are camping out on. <laughs> and and my scatterbrain, obviously, because I'm having these moments. But um I want to jump right into talking here, but before I do, I want to give you guys a little bit of background on John, because when I was reading your bio, I was like, I don't know if I want to have this conversation. I'm a little scared. And the reason is, guys, okay, so I was reading your uh, your bio, and I was like, NCIS, right? Yes. FBI. I was like, all this secret squirrel stuff, and then you wrote a book about it, and then we started talking, and you were talking before the show, because we I always talk you know, before the show to all of the guests and we were talking about how you wanted to uh, do a podcast possibly about crime from a law enforcement standpoint. And I'm like, I've never committed a crime. That's not why I'm scared. But you know, you get nervous. Like when I was in the military and the first sergeant would be like, Hey, can you come to my office? I'd be like, what's going on? What's happening? Or when you get pulled over and you get nervous. So so I'm excited to talk to you because I want to hear about your book, but I'm also like, oh my goodness, are you gonna are you gonna tell me something about my past that I don't know? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're like, come on, lady, get it together. <laughs> it, it, it is funny you mentioned that though, because uh, my first like week with NCIS, I uh, you know you pick up cases and you got to go interview people and find your subjects. So I'm. Getting, I got to go talk to this guy is a subject in one of my cases. So I'm grabbing my stuff, getting my, you know, getting my pat notebooks and all this stuff together to go find this guy and talk to him. I got to go track this guy down. And the, the uh, agent sitting next to me is like, what are you doing? I go, oh, I got to go find this guy. I got to, I got to talk to him. He's, you know, he's, he's a subject in my case. He's like, yeah, no. I'm like, what do you mean? No, I got to go find the guy. He's not just going to come to me. He's like, yeah, he will. I'm like what? He goes, uh, where, where's he work? I, was, I told him his unit. And he goes, he picks up the phone. He's like, hey, I need this guy at the office in 15 minutes. And I was like, that that's never going to work. That's not how that's not how law enforcement works, man. And he's like, oh, no, he'll be here. He called his chief and was like, deliver this guy. We got to talk to him. Oh, and wow. in all of my life, 
uh, as a as a as a, a street cop, as an FBI agent, the, I've never had somebody deliver my guy to me. <laughs> so it was, wow. it's funny you mentioned that your first sergeant calling you in, and it's like, well, I guess that's yeah, I guess that's how it works. <laughs> that's the military, <laughs> so, huh? Yeah, it was a, a whole different ball game. Yeah, yeah, we don't tend to run very often. I mean, there are some that will run, but the majority of us just do what we're told. Like we walk into put ourselves in handcuffs, right? That's very awkward. Very well, I, awkward we are. I, I was always proud of the fact that I had a pretty good relationship with uh, with the, the the guys, the known guys, you know, out in, uh, when I worked in Charleston, I could, I could call them by name and be like, hey, buddy, um, we got a warrant for you today. And more often than not, they'd be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, you treat people not, you treat people good and, yeah. and you get to know people over time. And, uh, you know, they got their job, I got my job. And I'd be like, hey, bud, you got to go to jail today. And they'd be like, all right, stamp, you know, as long as you treat them right, everybody's, you know, yeah. it, that doesn't work out all the time, but it is, you, you're kind of proud when, when you, uh, when you have that kind of relationship with people and they trust you, you know, that is true. And, and, you know, sometimes it is just about that respect between two individuals, you know, you did something wrong, you, you got to pay the piper and that the, the other individuals just doing a job, just doing what needs to be done. And then you can both go home healthy and safe at the end of the day for yeah, lack well, of better words. Well, in that example, he's got to go to jail. I'm going to go home. Well, well, <laughs> that's, well, that is his temporary yeah. home. Yeah. You're going to county, <laughs> <laughs> which is your temporary home for the moment until that's you right. you do your time, right? <laughs> do the crime, do the time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it's funny because I wanted growing up, I wanted to be a police officer. I even did a, um, a ride along with a police officer and I got the adrenaline and everything when we um, did a traffic stop. I was like, it's the coolest thing ever, all this other stuff. And when I would join the air force, I uh, wanted to come in security forces, but I couldn't lift enough weight. I was, I was 128 pounds. Not now I was then 128 pounds. Um, couldn't lift the 75 pounds that I needed. I was so devastated, but they said, wait six more months, come back, try it. I says, I'll be dead in six months. You got to take me now. I got to get out of here. <laughs> um, they said, okay, you can cross it a couple of years, all that other stuff. And then um, when I found out what security forces did, I said, no way, Jose, I don't want to do what they do. Cause I didn't at the time I was like, I'm not going to stand at a gate. I'm not going to do all that crazy stuff. Then, so I went and I talked to Office of Special Investigations because that's the uh, what the Air Force had. And I was all ready for it. I was pregnant with my son. They were going to accept me, but at the time I was married. So fast forward, I had my kids and I realized that God intervened in my life because I was not equipped, nor could I have ever handled being a police officer. <laughs> I would never have been able to make it in the law enforcement field. And I think God intervened in exactly the way that he knew that he had to. And I'm extremely thankful because I am not, was not, and would never have been equipped to do what law enforcement, any level, you know, from the street cop all the way up to CIA type stuff or whatever. I just would not. So thank you for what you've done. I just want to say that because I thought I was Billy Badass. I could I could not then and still cannot beat my way out of a wet paper bag. So I, I commend you for what you do. And But I want to, 
I also want to know about your book because I could go in and talk about, you know, your career, your the whole entire interview, obviously, because it's phenomenally interesting as well as, I mean, I, I just love, you know, hearing all kinds of stories. Obviously everybody does, but you wrote a fantastic book, but it also goes, how do you go from this to writing a book? Where do you, uh, where do you get that line? Right. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, uh, luckily, um, I was able to do grad school and get that done before the kids started coming. And my, I worked into a, a system. I was uh, going to university of Florida, get my master's degree in forensics. And uh, so I'd come into work every day uh, about two hours early to get my research done, get my mm -hmm. papers done and move on to my work day. And uh, I was traveling a lot during that time. So I, it, that system really worked for me. And I got done with grad school and suddenly, you know, I've got a, I've got my, I've got my uh, degree sitting in a, in a cardboard roller and it's now I've got it. It's sitting in the closet someplace and, <laughs> but I'm still waking up with the mindset of it's time to go to work, you know, two hours before it's actually time to go to work now because I got mm -hmm. nothing else to do. So I had always been wanting to be a writer and I'd always had little outlines and little ideas. So I just dusted one off and checked the outline out, made sure I got a beginning and an end. And I just applied those two hours every day to getting writing done and with a goal of like 500 words a day. And uh, after like six or eight months, I looked at my computer. I was like, wow, I, I just wrote a book. <laughs> you know, wow. I was like, that's pretty fun. I'm going to do it again. So, um, so now my seventh blood red ivory, um, that's through, your seventh uh, book. Yes. Blood red ivory is my seventh, um, through a uh, wild blue press, um, a really good, uh, really, they got some fantastic content. Um, but, uh, I kind of wanted to, uh, to look at what I could do with a series. Cause from, for the first six, I'm just like, eh, whatever pops in my head, if I got a good idea and an ending, I'm like, yeah. let's roll. Let's see how these characters work out. Um, for this one, I've always had the idea of a, of a character in my head and Ty Benhoff, you know, I, I didn't want to call him like, you know, slate charger or, uh, you know, hero McGee or something like that. Like <laughs> a lot of series, you, you just yeah. you look at the name and you're like, Oh, this guy's going to be insufferable. You know? Mm -hmm. So I gave him a, you know, I gave him a good standard common name that it could be anybody and, yeah. and just kind of threw him into the wild. Um, I worked in Africa for a while. And I oh, wow. uh, worked in different parts of the, of the world. We'd, we'd uh, go off and I'd often work in the same office as uh, OSI, your Air Force Office of Special Investigations mm -hmm. and Navy. We'd all be there together with Army and work cases in different places. So, and I always liked, at least at NCIS, they, you know, they put a couple agents, throw them out in the field and, and uh, they trust that these guys are going to work it out. You know, what you might not have all the resources, you might not you might not have uh, a, a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of you know infrastructure to work with but they send people to the you know wherever the wherever the issue is and they trust that those agents are going to make it happen so I, I just did the same thing um to ty benhoff i threw him into the middle of zimbabwe you know five or six hours away from anybody coming to help him mm. and i tossed him into the middle of a uh, an ivory trade war um because i had oh, read cool. it was just fun and i and i'd uh, i'd read them um, an article and there's a couple documentaries about these people, but there's a, there's a uh, female unit of uh, anti poaching Rangers that was stood up by a former, I think he was an, an Australian SAS guy. Mm -hmm. um, 
but he he built this unit of people who protect elephants and, and fight the ivory trade in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. And they're all female. They all come from uh, from you know, a violent background. They've all been abused in some way. And he recruited uh, these women, trained them up, and they've been incredibly um, effective in uh, in protecting wildlife in this given area. And wow. once I read that, I read that article, and I was like, "These, I got to do something with these characters." There's just so, yeah. you know, not only just to give them a little, you know, a little fist bump, but just to having that backstory alone. I like, I, I got to work with these people, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I fictionalized the unit um, and and had uh, you know so I got Ty working a working a homicide of a, a sailor um, in their in their uh, preserve. Uh, he has no idea of the uh, of the um, ivory trade issue going on, so he's just working his crime right through the middle because of course nobody's going to talk to uh, the American policeman out in the middle of, of Zimbabwe. So mm-hmm. he just kind of winds his way into being right smack in the middle of these two groups that are just going at each other and. He's kind of got to figure it out, solve the case, and survive to to uh, to write about it. You know, wow. But it, but it's uh, it's just I, I chose him, made him an NCIS agent because much the same way we have with OSI and CID, they've got a global presence. Mm-hmm. Their spectrum. I always tell everybody that when I went to NCIS, it was the closest I could find to being a city uh, detective. You know, because yeah. whatever the crime is, as long as it's got a nexus to the Navy, it's mine. You know, I can work it. So, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's, it always just had an advantage there. So I could put my characters any place in the world with any given crime, you know, so it's, it's just, there's a lot of fodder. So that, you know, that sounds like a movie where you, where you're <laughs> like, I'm picturing it. I'm picturing this. I'm picturing you call it, was it Ty? I remember the last name Benhoff. Yeah. Is it Ty Benhoff? Ty Benhoff. Yeah. Okay. I was like, I couldn't remember the first name, but the last name just, sticks right it sticks in your mind type i'm imagining ty benhoff in africa working this murder i can even see him bending down to check something out like it's such a visual representation your story is so you can just see the story when you're talking about it i appreciate that that's um i i don't know if you're ever a big fan of michael Crichton. But he always he always wrote, and when you're reading his work, it's it's written like a movie, like you can see it. Yeah, okay. And I've always kind of you know between him, Elmore Leonard, Joseph Wamba, have you know I just always want I I can visualize everything he wrote, so I'm kind of <laughs> tried to to stick that way. Um, but I that, that's a fantastic. Thank you very much. I was actually before we started, I was reading um, the uh, the so-called the pseudo morgue scene, you know, because I've got. I've got him out in the middle of, of Zimbabwe and, and it's, it's a crime. So, you know, theoretically we should be doing an autopsy. We should be processing the body. We should be yeah. doing all this. And he's doing it with nothing with, you know, yeah. no, no help whatsoever. The facilities aren't even there. There's not even a mortician, you know? So he's, he's right. just figuring it out. And every place he goes, um, every place he goes and everybody he talks to is like, you're going to get eaten. <laughs> you know, you're working a crime scene in the middle of, uh, in the middle of the bush. Some, something's <laughs> going to eat you. you know? <laughs> right. You would think, yeah, yeah. it's like you're, you're about, there's a lion right there. <laughs> you may yeah. not want to open up the body. That's fresh meat for the lion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I just enjoyed a, at one point he's got, he's just in a standoff with a giant bull elephant and you know, he's okay. Well, bull elephants walking through my crime scene. How do I, how do I, approach this right yeah oh and my it, goodness yeah. and it's reflective of uh when i was working i was working in djibouti africa and i was training uh their gendarme and uh, we had to stop our training one day because a herd of camels 
walk through our crime scene that we we're that we we're working. So we're all mm -hmm. we're all working out together, you know, having a we're doing a hostage negotiation training. And just I see a camel just start walking my way. So I was like, okay guys, we got a time out for a minute and ten camels just walk through our <laughs> make a hole for the camels. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. That's so hilarious. It was, it was so it was it was great. It's one of those uh I always uh, I was having a conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago and they're, you know, they talk about cases and they talk about this and that. And I always, I always focus on those those really interesting moments that you're not going to have any place else than, than in, in a law enforcement scenario. You're not going to pause a, a pseudo hostage negotiation to let a bunch of camels come walk into your scene. That, you know? That's so true. I mean, a lot of people, all they ever think about is in an urban environment, right? An environment where people own the land yeah. they don't th you know you don't think about those remote environments where animals or you know something else owns the land so that's it's fascinating because you you don't think about it like i wouldn't know camels could just walk through the crime scene i wouldn't think about that <laughs> Me That's, neither. Still happened. <laughs> yeah, right. You, you're like, gotta be there. <laughs> but I mean, to be able to read about that, you'd be like, no freaking way. Like, if I read that in the book, I'd be like, uh, uh, for real. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that would be that would make it that much more interesting to read. That's really cool. And is this book? You said this is book number seven. Is it in a series or just a standalone? This is the first one uh, for Ty Benhoff I did. Okay. Uh, I'm already working on the second one. I, I just like that character. He's sarcastic. He's, if if anybody even remote, anybody in management would immediately try to have him transferred. He's just a pain. He, he just <laughs> does not take much serious. Um, it's just, uh, just gets, but he gets the job done and, and he really doesn't care what he has to do to get it done. And it's just, I, I like I like yeah. that guy who's kind of a pain for the uh, for the administration, but also very effective. So, so I have to ask though, did you is Ty Benhoff kind of like your alter ego? No, I uh, okay. I was never that much of a troublemaker. I don't think I was. At least, <laughs> I Sometimes don't. we make characters after ourselves. I've done it. <laughs> he, he's a uh, kind of an amalgam of like every every. Uh, really entertaining agent and cop I've ever worked with. You know, mm. just the, the, you get the little, the little pieces of people. This just the, the one liners that uh, one of my corporals would have walking up to the window in a, in a traffic stop or just the, uh, just the, the, just uh, that dry wit that um, somebody would have in the interrogation room. And it's yeah. and like, and you, you catch it, but nobody else in the room catches it. And you're just like, that was a good one. And there's, and it, it's just, you just slip a zinger in there, bud. And there's only two of us that figured it out. You know? <laughs> Um, he's the best of everybody, huh? Yeah, he's he's just uh, oh, he's just the the best. Uh, maybe not always the best uh, politically correct behaviors of everybody I've ever worked with, but yeah, you know, every every uh, buddy in law enforcement's got a little bit of a dark side. So I, I, yes, I want to make sure that comes out. <laughs> you you have to with that type of job. If you can't find the humor and just something to decompress from all of the the seriousness because i mean it gets real deep right i mean i i wasn't in law enforcement i was just in the military and just the things that you have to have conversations about the serious stuff um if you can't find the humor and the decompression uh in all of that it'll eat you alive i know that so we, you know we, 
the jokes, it's funny because when my son and my daughter went off to college and, and they would joke about something, the other kids would look at them like, <laughs> and they were like, oh, and they would call home and they'd be like, mom, like, we don't fit in. And I'm like, oh, well, I guess I didn't warn you about the real world. Because <laughs> yeah. around our dinner table, we would talk about, you know, funeral arrangements and things like that and joke about, you're not keeping my ashes. Just throw me out. <laughs> just throw me out in the wind. And then when you feel the wind in your face, just keep your mouth closed so I don't come back at you. I mean, we would joke about those type <laughs> yeah. of things. And when they would say something like that around other people, they were like, um, not okay. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, and I think every, everybody in that, in that life, you, you end up at a dinner party at least one point where you're, you're just talking about the funniest thing that happened to you that week. And, uh, and my wife's a nurse, so she gets it. She she's gets just, it. She's just as, as uh, bent as I am, but yeah, yeah. You know, you're, you're there with, with the uh, people, you know, that don't deal with that sort of stuff. And you just tell them the funniest thing that me and my wife were talking about just, <laughs> couple hours ago and yeah. no one laughing and just like well we're never being invited back here again yeah you won't <laughs> yeah. go to that dinner party ever again yeah my husband's yeah. army i'm air force so we we totally get it yep yeah so let me ask you this so ty benhoff it, that's the first uh book and the name of that book again is blood red ivory blood yeah. red ivory so he's the first the first book with ty benhoff is blood red ivory mm -hmm. and that's the seventh of your books uh seventh Number seven of all of your books. Um, are all of your books where the main character is law enforcement? Oh, that's a good question. No, um, I lost my mind at one point and decided <laughs> I had to do a fantasy. I had to do a high fantasy novel. I enjoy reading high fantasy. Yeah. So I wrote Die Hard in a Castle. I, oh. I had the idea. Uh, for a long time that, you know, Die Hard's great, but what would happen if it's in medieval Europe, <laughs> you know? So I took, uh, I took like the most annoying, privileged royal you could ever think of, like the, you yeah. know, the guy who's, whose dad spent his life uh, trying to build everything that they have. And he's an artist and he, you know, he's, he's, de he's denied his, uh, you know, official duties to be part of the militia. He's, he's an artiste, you know? And yeah. And um, so I, I got this guy, um, built him up so everybody kind of wants to punch him. And uh, then I uh, take out his entire guard force and I fill his castle up with uh, mercenaries that are trying to kill him. And uh, say, have at it, buddy. Good, you know, good luck. And uh, that was a lot of fun to write. Um, but the pure amount of research that had to go into that, mm -hmm. you know, I'd, I'd spend a day learning horse terminology to write a three-page sequence from one castle to another. Yep. clothing, weapons, I'm like, wow, you know, it's just yeah. a lot of research for that one. So I, I, um, I might, maybe I'll go back to fantasy at some point, but, um, I, I, I write, I like writing in the current world, you know, yeah. so but other than that, everything, uh, even my horror books start with a detective, you know, I, you know, so I've, re I've read sci-fi and fantasy my entire life. It's my favorite, favorite genre to read my very favorite genre but it's the one that I cannot write. That's the only genre that I can't even get an idea to stick in my head for. Like I'm totally lost. I try and it's like, Puh. Yeah. yeah. For It's just, it, it's my favorite to read, but I cannot get a storyline going. 
I'm I'm much the same way. I really want to do a uh, space opera at some point. Mm. Um, but the you know everyone you read outside of Star Wars just isn't it. Just isn't as good. And I'm not trying to insult anybody. I'm just I think the infrastructure and the architecture yes, universe hard. is the is such that you know Star Trek also. But it's as such that anybody who tries anything else doesn't measure up. It's just and there's a lot of really good sci-fi series out there, but. Yeah. For me personally, I can't, I really want to do it, but I, I gotta, um, the only way I can do it is if I think that it would be on par with Star Wars or Star Trek and, yeah, it's and everything, very hard. you know what I look, I, I write notes and I'm like, mm, no, it's just not there. You know? <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, they really set a bar. And when you set a bar that freaking high it is really, really hard to match up. I agree with you a hundred percent. Now let me ask you this. So this is these, this is something that I'm working on currently and I'm, I'm digging in deep and I, there's two stories, two serial killer stories that I'm currently working on uh, under a whole different pen name. Um, and I really, really want these ones to come to fruition because I love the storyline itself. Obviously they're fictional. I'm totally, you know, like I told you, I couldn't whip my way out of what paper bag. I would be like, try to cut someone like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? But they're two storylines. Now, could you ever see yourself writing that type of story? Uh, from the bad guys perspective? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I Because, um, you know, I always come up with the good guys, but, you know, you got a, an idea. Oh, here's my guy. I'm going to, you know, he's he does this and he's like this and. And you're like, well, great. Who's he going against? You know, so you gotta, mm -hmm. you gotta have a bad guy. You know, and yeah. and I would love to to write from the bad guy's perspective, um, and I do that in the books. But I, carrying an entire novel from being the hunter, like a, like an American Psycho type thing, yeah, I would love to try it. I don't know if I could pull it off. Yeah, because yeah, I I got a um, we I was in a writing group and I got a writing prompt, and I didn't even know I had it in me, but the prompt led to this persona coming out of the serial killer the serial killer persona just came out and i was like wow and then i it just started going and i was like oh yes this is something i are, the story unfolded in front of me as i wrote it and for the rest of the night i just continued on and i already have the whole entire outline i was like this has to happen because i yeah. love it that's when you know you're in the zone <laughs> you yeah know, I'll just yeah yeah. So yeah. I always wondered if somebody could, you know, from one that is so on one side of the track could write from the other side of the track. I I would love to try it. I, I honestly yeah. don't know. I would I would love to because I, I kind of got a, a loose idea of throwing tie up against a serial killer at some point. Okay. Uh, probably book four or five. But um, but as far as me, as far as doing it from the perspective of the bad guy all the way through the book and kind of making tie or the pro uh you know the protagonist the just ancillary characters that just get in his way i think mm -hmm. that'd be fun i can't wait to see what you come up with <laughs> you know yeah me too i'm hoping that i can because i was thinking well how do i because i don't know anything about you know serial killers other than what i watch on tv or law enforcement other than what what i watch on tv so there is a whole hell of a lot of research that i'm gonna have to do you know so i'm like oh man i gotta know i gotta research so you maybe that's me, you can call me anytime <laughs> expert in anything uh, but <laughs> probably make it sound good <laughs> i know right i'm like at least gotta make it sound believable that's right so, <laughs> so this is your seventh book now when did you release this one uh blood red ivory came out january 18th 
and the audiobook the wild blue is uh is doing an audiobook i can't wait it's gonna be my first one so i'm really really excited about that so that comes out may 2nd may oh i gotta wait till may i love yeah. audiobooks especially when it's this genre this genre on audiobooks kills like I, no pun intended yeah, yeah there's plenty of that <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, you know, it's weird. I uh, I can't do fiction in the audio format, but every nonfiction I read, if it's biography, if it's true crime, whatever it is, it's I feel like I feel like I'm at a TED talk. So I always go audiobook on my nonfiction. But for fiction, I gotta I gotta read it. It's I don't know what it really? is. Yeah. Yeah. I I listen to a I listen to both. Like I listen to Tip of the Spear by Ryan Hendrickson. It's his true life story. Soldier in Afghanistan. He actually lost uh, half of his leg and but then went back into combat afterwards and all this. I mean, it, I literally was just chills running through me the entire time. And then I listened to it was a rom-con and it was about all these first dates that she went. It was absolutely hilarious. I was riding in my car for like 15 hours <laughs> laughing the entire time. So I think it just, ha I think it's the story for me. It has to be the story. It has to be intriguing. And this sounds intriguing. Like this right here sounds absolutely intriguing. Like I want to hear about animals messing up the crime scene and stuff and i want and you talk about the the witty one zingers and stuff like that one line zingers and stuff i want to hear ty benhoff you know say those things you know so yeah 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 i try to keep it like i mean i i just uh i like we talked about it's once you you kind of in the world long enough and and i've been in the law enforcement for 20 years 22 years in some form or fashion and uh it's it gets really hard to take a whole lot of stuff serious so i don't want yeah. the books to be like super dark and super like <laughs> you know it's a, i want it to be yeah. i want it to be fun a little bit i want there to be you know there's dark stuff that's got to get done but I, you know i want the guy to approach it with a perspective that it's like yeah that's it's hard things but there's always there's always some something funny about it. you can always find something funny even in the, the darkest places you know yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's a lot of authors out there that that learn from podcasts and learn from authors like yourself and my and myself that have been there before and have done the dang on thing, you know, that have ripped the bandaid off and, and went. So I always ask the question because it's important so they can learn as well. What If you had any advice to give to another author, whether it's their first time, their 10th, their 20th time writing a book, what would be your best piece of advice? Uh, I think, and I'm after having that conversation with a few people, it's, it's just find a routine and stick to it. You know, it's mm -hmm. writing is everybody wants to look at us as artists, you know, as uh, you know, we're these creative artistic people and we are, but it's still a job. You got to look at it like a, yeah. like a job. You go to work at this time and you get off work at this time and you don't quit. You don't, you just can't quit. Cause there's nobody that's going to, um, there's nobody that's going to push you, you know, and say, Hey, did you get your 500 words in today? Or, mm -hmm. hey, how, how'd your writing go today? Or, you know, where's my next book? Nobody's going to do that for you. So if you're not doing it, there's nobody, if, if a book doesn't get written, there's billions of books out there that have never been finished. So for everybody that I talk to, I always say, pick a time, pick a place and go there, rinse and repeat every day. Because otherwise life will happen and you'll get distracted. Um, so yeah, find that routine and just stick to it. Look at it like a blue collar job because it, it, writing is, you know, there, nobody's going to, Nobody's going to be there to help. You know, it's it's very solo existence when you look at it. 
Absolutely. You know, and I was having a conversation with my friend, Elizabeth Johnson. She's the marketing director at Playtel Multimedia and Publishing. And we, she had someone tell her that, you know, she's been at, they, they, they wrote their first book and over the past year, they've only sold like a couple of copies. And since they're not selling well, they're done, they quit. And I was like, how do they, what do you mean quit? Like, if you're an author and this is what you want to do with your life, whether you're selling books or not, you just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Like at, you just keep writing. Yeah. At this <laughs> like there's no quit. <laughs> yeah. At this point for me, it'd be writing's the same way as like, if I skipped a week at the gym, I start getting cranky and my wife will be like, go to the gym. And I'm the same way. If I don't get to write, if I miss a couple of days writing, I'll start getting cranky the same way. It's, it's yeah. just habit at this point. Yeah. And, uh, and I feel bad for people who get into the writing game and, and look at it as a moneymaker because you just can't. You're, you'll be destroyed. You will be destroyed. Hallelujah. If you look at this as a get-rich-quick scheme, it's just not. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I You know, I'm very open and honest about my sales and what I've done. I tell everyone, my first four years of writing, I made less than $400 because I'm self-published. I didn't get a publishing deal. I do everything on my own, and I've I have focused more on promoting other people than myself. And my first four years, I made less than $400. Last year, I made $347 in one year. So this was never about getting rich. For me, it was always about writing. It was about writing the books. It's about doing what I love more than anything. And as I grow, will my income grow? More than likely, absolutely. I'm learning how to market. I'm learning how to get grow more. I'm learning how to write better. So everything is getting better. In the beginning, I did my own um, book covers. Now I have a cover designer. In the beginning, I didn't have an editor that knew what they were doing. Now I have a good editor. In the beginning, I wasn't a great writer. I'm a better writer now. Eventually, I'm going to be a great writer. I mean, that's you just have to continue. So when you said that routine, I was like, thank you, Jesus, people. Mm -hmm. There is no quit when it's something that you have a passion to do. Yep. And if it's not a passion, it's not going to, it's never going to work out for you. It's just a, yeah, it just is. It's it's a you do it because you want to do it, and you hope to you hope to entertain people. You know. Yeah, absolutely. So where can people reach you? At? I'm gonna put it here in the comments for YouTube and for our Facebook viewers. But I want to make sure that when this goes over to the podcast format, those folks that can't see it can hear it. It's pretty much uh, everywhere. Um, but the, you know, the uh, Amazon, of course, is the biggest one for everybody. But Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, um, they're all listed listed there um but i mean mostly everybody i talk to is is e-readers now there's i love going to the book conferences and and where people pick up stuff but you know easiest and fastest is always going to be amazon or barnes and noble you know but they're pretty much anywhere oh yeah my site johnstampwriter.com um and uh and that will lead also to my um to my uh sub stack uh i have a i have a blog there the they did what uh crime blog um which is yeah which kind of like we were talking about earlier, I, I kind of take dumb criminal stories and if something inspires me, I kind of write my own version of them. Just kind of getting reps, writing small, short fiction. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, other than that, it's just uh, my Amazon page, my Instagram, John Stamp Writer. They're all, they're all consistent. So yeah, I'm easy to find. Yeah. <laughs> That's not so bad for a law enforcement guy, right? <laughs> I mean, I, everybody always asks, why don't you write under a pen name? And I'm like, I would have no idea how to market a pen name. And 
And if you look at all my stuff outside my short bio, there's nothing that links back to what I do now. There's, I don't, I don't bring the current job into it. I just, uh, there's the past there and I'm a writer. If you look at me online, you've got me as an author. You don't have me as anything else, you know? Yeah. And and that's what people understand. I mean, you don't have to have your real life and your writer life, even if you use the same name synonymous with each other. You know, I mean, I have different pen names because of the different genres. So people don't get super confused, Mm -hmm. but that's just because I have children's books and things like that. (laughs) And Auntie Nan sounds a little bit better than CJ Ives Lopez. You know what I mean? Um, So um, John, I've had a great time. I mean, I could just sit here and talk forever because I have so many questions about my serial killer, but that this is all about you. Mm -hmm. So, but I want to ask you this question. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to make sure we touch on before we head off for the day? Because um, I'm, I really want to hear blood red ivory, uh, on audiobook. I hate that I have to wait till May. So I might end up having to just go pick up a copy and read it myself. <laughs> well, I pre- I didn't know. I, uh, I think we covered everything. I just pre- appreciate you uh, taking time out of your Saturday for me. And that was, it's fun. I love doing these things. I love uh, just talking, especially when you can sit down and talk books with somebody. It's just, it's, it's uh, fun. And when, you know, when, uh, when somebody who's not a writer, here's that you have fun talking books. It's, it's, it doesn't matter. I, don't get it. I, I love conversations like this. So thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your works of art with the Author's Porch and all of our audience. Um, <clears throat> I def- I owe you an email, which I'll be doing that as soon as here. And um, have a great Saturday. Guys, thanks for coming and watching with us today. This is our next to last episode before we take a little bit of a pause on the podcast, but that doesn't mean the Austin Sports is going away. It just means we're going to take a little break for a while. So make sure you come back and watch us whenever we're on. And don't forget to go and visit our friends, Brendan and Vamsi over at mastertalk.ca where they teach you the power of effective communication. And if you want the best cup of coffee on this side of heaven, make sure that you go and check out Third Day Coffee Seguin. That's thirddayscoffeeseguin.com. And we're going to catch you guys next time. I'm CJ. That's John Stamp. Go read his books and write on everybody. Bye, Thank John. Thank you. See you. Bye. The is a certified veteran-hosted podcast. Show your support. Tune in, share, and subscribe.